Well, friends, it's good to be with you in worship today. I want to have a, a quick shout out, first of all, to everybody who's joining us online or will experience this message as a part of our podcast throughout the week. I also want to shout out Esther. And I got permission to do this, as you should with all pregnant women. She's leading worship as like 1.9 people. She's due May 13th. So can we just show appreciation for Esther leading us? Thank you so much. So I'm part of a pastor's cohort, uh, which is a fancy word for a group, that gets together about twice a year. And, and most of us are from Texas. There's 16 of us. And I'm the lone Missourian. And so when I saw this hat, I don't know if you can see that, the little red outline of our great state, I had to represent. So I'm going to wear this today when I go down to Houston and, and show the Texans that uh, Missouri is in the building. When people ask me where I'm from, uh, I don't really have a great answer because I moved around a little bit, but I've lived in Missouri my whole life. So I just say, you know, I'm, I'm from Missouri. I'm going to stash this over here. I love Missouri. I'm a proud, lifelong Missourian. And I hope you have some state pride as well. And so I thought we'd start off with a little Missouri quiz. Does that sound okay? Here we go. Even if you said no, it's what I have prepared. <laughs> can anyone tell me, this is like when I ask my kids, can you go clean your room? Well, that's what you're going to do. Uh, anyone know the Missouri State bird? Very good, the Eastern Bluebird. Now, there was some controversy last service, so let me say this correctly. Does anyone know the state flower? The dogwood, very good. Not to be confused with the state tree. That's the hawthorn. Uh, so, you know, if you're doing a crossword puzzle, you can remember that. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and go a little harder here. How about the state sport? I'll give you a hint. It ain't Royals baseball. <laughs> Anybody know the state sport? Who said it? Say it loud. No, not Cardinals baseball. Did you say Archery. It's archery. That's it, archery. Yeah, I, I thought I'd shock you with that one. What about, uh, this should be a gimme. What about our state nickname? It's on our license plate. The Show Me State. That's right, very good. No one knows for sure how we got this moniker. There's a couple theories. One is that in the 1890s, there was a miner strike in Colorado. And the Missourians that went over there to replace those miners, scab miners, I guess you could call them. It doesn't sound like a fun job. Uh, they weren't sure how to mine the stuff over there, and so they were from Missouri, and you had to show them. So that's one theory. But the prevailing legend attributes the phrase to a congressman from Missouri named Willard Dunkard Vandiver. And he said this in a speech. Frothy eloquence neither convinces me nor satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You have got to show me. So that's where supposedly it came from. As Missourians, by reputation or association, we appreciate that seeing is believing. And now you're going to be blown away by this killer segue because in our scripture today, uh, we're going to meet someone who also need to be shown something in order to believe it. On Easter, we talked about God doing the impossible, raising Jesus from the dead. And as we read on in the scripture, the Bible tells us about the hours and days and weeks after Jesus' resurrection and what his followers did. So if you've ever experienced doubts, as almost every Christian I've ever met has, I wanted someone to tell you today that you're in good company. That's our subject today, doubt. We're going to read about one disciple who had a high burden of proof. And we read about them, among other places, in John chapter 20. 
John is one of the gospels of Jesus. That's a word that simply means good news. And so this book of John records the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus. Now we're skipping over a lot there. And so if you want to catch up a little bit, you can check out our Easter message or the service uh, on our website. And Jesus' closest friends had scattered in the wake of his death. They were afraid of the Romans or the Jewish authorities uh, arresting them. They thought the same fate that Jesus suffered could be theirs too. And so in John chapter 20, we find them kind of hiding out together. This is John 20, verses 24 and 25. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the 12, and he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So both Thomas and Didymus mean twin. So that was just something about Thomas. He was a twin. And the scripture is where we get the phrase doubting Thomas from. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. I don't know if anyone's ever said to you, quit being a doubting Thomas. There's not a lot of sick biblical burns you can give someone. So you may have heard that phrase. This is where it originates. So whether or not that phrase is familiar to you, do you think it's fair that one person would be known for one thing like their whole life? So one of, the, one of the perils of our modern society is that if you go viral for doing something, you can be known as that forever. So like this picture, who's this? Ross. Now some, some of us said actor David Schwimmer. Man, that's Ross. That was like 30 years ago or more. And for the rest of Ross's life, he'll be Ross. Now there's worse fates in the world, but this is what I mean. He's known for that one thing. Have any of you ever sent this picture to your friends? The one on the left? <laughs> See, we don't even communicate in words anymore. We just send pictures. Have you ever sent this meme to somebody? Now, that's her, uh, this, this meme is known as side-eye Chloe. And that's Chloe. She got a little bit older. But for the rest of her life, she could be like, hey, that was me. Millie Vanilli will forever be known as the people who won Grammys for lip syncing. I'm reaching way back here, trying to reach all the generations, mostly mine. They won Grammys, and it wasn't even them singing. That's what they're known for forever. Thomas is known most for this episode in this book, John 20. But earlier in the book of John, we see another side of Thomas. Jesus was headed, he, he was resolute in going to Jerusalem, where he surely, he knew he awaited his execution. And this is what Thomas said, knowing what was ahead. Let us go also, that we may die with him. That's a different picture, isn't it? So he's not known as courageous Thomas. He's known as doubting Thomas. And I don't think Thomas should be an antagonist, antagonist because of his reaction. Because he wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. And so he just, he just wants to be shown. I think his reaction makes sense. Because as we talked about on Easter, the resurrection is an impossible thing to believe. And since the disciples were claiming Jesus had risen from the dead, not like spiritually, not ethereally, not as a ghost, but as a, in physical, actual form, I think it makes sense that the burden of proof would be, well, then let me feel the, the holes in his hands and the place in his side where he was speared. You can't fault Thomas for wanting to verify a physical resurrection by physical means. If I'm going to believe, he said in so many words, as a Missourian, You've got to show me. 
A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So the disciples once again are gathered, again behind closed, locked doors because they're hiding out for fear of retribution. And we get some head-scratching data that although Jesus was physically resurrected, somehow in his form, he could pass through locked doors. Again, I think this is a crazy thing to believe. Jesus' body is physical like ours, but it has these other traits. So in addition to being formerly dead and now not, this is another excellent reason to wonder about the veracity of Jesus' resurrection. And what we, what we learn in this passage is that Jesus' body was not resuscitated. You get a new body. There's a difference between resuscitation and resurrection. That you get a new body. That's why I got the organ donation thing on my license too. I'm not going to need them. Because we're going to receive new bodies with new traits. So Jesus offers the disciples a customary greeting. Peace be with you. We can imagine them freaking out that Jesus just appeared even though the door was locked. And that greeting he offers them also harkens back to things he taught them. Like my peace I give to you. Jesus tells them peace be with you. And he had already appeared to the others. But he appears once again this time with Thomas in the group. And I love that Jesus is the one who initiates this. And Jesus is the one who came to Thomas. It was Jesus who came toward the one who doubted. He doesn't let a locked door or a closed mind prevent him from pursuing a disciple he loves. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas's understandable skepticism had lasted at least a week. And despite the pleas of his fellow disciples and hearing about what they had seen, he wanted to see it from himself. And he wanted to be... He wanted it proven, and he was firm in his position. But once he sees, he goes all in. Now, we don't know if Thomas actually felt the nail holes in the, in the place in Jesus' side, or if simply seeing Jesus was enough. But Thomas declares his faith when he says, My Lord and my God, both affirming the divinity of Jesus as well as his submission to Jesus as his Lord. This is the simplest and most essential statement of faith. Jesus, my Lord and my God, it really does boil down to that. So we'll finish our scripture with the message Jesus had, not just for Thomas and the disciples, but for us as well. Verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's important to keep in mind when we read the Bible that we experience Jesus much differently than his original audience. That may seem obvious, it may not. We experience Jesus much differently than the original disciples. There were people who saw Jesus' miracles firsthand, and they still walked away. The disciples were with Jesus for years, and they scattered when he was arrested, not understanding what he had taught them about the crucifixion and his resurrection. And so if you have experienced doubts, you join a long line of disciples 
going all the way back to the first ones. You're in good company. Hearing about Jesus' reappearance, it wasn't enough for Thomas. He had to see it, and then he believed. We don't get to see it in the same sense, and we are blessed when we believe. So for us, it's the testimony of Scripture that we hear, and through the Holy Spirit, we believe. Our Scripture is us reading about, hearing about what the disciples saw. I love how Cameron Murchison put it. Fully aware that the audience for which he was writing, including the audience of today, would come to belief not by the visible signs of those first disciples and apostles experienced, but rather through hearing of those signs and what he writes, John reassures his audience that nonetheless they also participate in the joy and blessedness of the risen Christ's appearance. And so how incredible that even when Jesus with his, was with his first disciples, he would say out loud that there's going to be people who believe, but they don't see me like you do, and they will be blessed. That's us. To believe even though we have not seen the way the disciples did. Jesus even gave Thomas the option of feeling. It was like a, like a 4D experience. But it's not for us in the same sense. We come to believe from hearing not seeing the resurrected Jesus, at least in the sense that the disciples did. And so in the absence of the certainty of seeing Jesus, like Thomas did, even feeling his wounds firsthand, that's where faith comes in. We've tried to go over the several excellent reasons that Thomas would have to doubt. To me, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is the fuel for faith. Doubt is fuel for faith. You know, if something is certain, it doesn't take a lot of faith. In the same way that, that leadership is really only needed when things are hard. When things are easy, it doesn't, doesn't take much leadership at all. Bravery only happens when you're afraid. You can only be courageous despite fear. Doubt creates the necessary conditions for faith. The Bible tells us as much. Faith is confidence, the book of Hebrews says, in what we hope for, in assurance about what we do not see. Not what we're certain about because we see it. No, faith only comes in believing even what we don't see. I don't know how a Christian would possess faith apart from doubt. And I think we each probably have our own list of, of kind of top ten reasons for doubt. Our experiences are all different. We were raised all different. There's a group called the Barna Research Group, and they did a study on doubt, and these were the top four reported reasons given for doubt. One, past experiences with religious institutions. Two, the hypocrisy of religious people. Three, science, the conflict between Scripture and science. And four, human suffering. Now, these first two are really tough to hear that it would be Christians who actually repel people from Jesus rather than our mission, which is the opposite of that. Uh, in St. Louis, there's a Christian radio station called Joy FM. I don't know if anyone's ever listened to it when they're on the other side of the state, of our great state. And Joy FM is famous for giving away bumper stickers. Well, that kind of backfires because there are entire news articles written and entire Facebook groups devoted to Joy FM 
sticker bumper people being terrible drivers. I did read about, there's this one car, I think that might be it. Uh, it's a Toyota covered in stickers, and they call it the Joyota. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> so, when it, <laughs> I'm still thinking about the Joyota. I, I wish I thought of it. Um, when it comes to Christians and how we represent ourselves in the world, of course, we're talking about a lot worse than maybe impolite driving. There's a certain sinisterness when people are hurt by the church, when they're hurt by the very thing they sought out to help heal them. I imagine for a lot of folks, it's hard to hear the voice of God over the deafening silence of the church when we never admit that sometimes we get it wrong. Every Christian represents not only themselves, but we may be the only representation of Jesus that someone else ever sees or hears. Brenning Manning famously said, as a DC talk song says at the beginning, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. When I see or hear or experience the church being partisan, or when I hear about leaders in the church abusing their positions, when I think about Christians revealing the gap between what we say we believe and how we behave, for me, it can actually fuel faith because it confirms the fact that we need a Savior. So what I want to do with all these four causes of, of doubt, which are legitimate, is to, it's to try and view them through the eyes of faith. Because what all this tells me is confirming that God uses broken, sinful people because, as it turns out, those are the only type of people there are. I'm not trying to make excuses for when the church fails or anything like that. But to me, all of this confirms our need for a Savior. That even the ones who say they believe it fail. Now, in terms of science conflicting with faith, and causing doubt, for me, it's, it's been very much the opposite. And what we're really talking about is, can we, can we come to believe in the supernatural? I mean, to me, that's, that's not a big leap. I think we have a walking, talking, supernatural miracle who gave the offering. I think Tiffany's a great example. Something she mentioned at first service is, she was also on another transplant list, and I think, kidney, is that right? Well, guess who got kicked off that list? In a good way. That's a list you love to be off of. It's miraculous. So to me, the supernatural, I, I don't have a hard time getting there. Now, we talked about Esther being due in a couple weeks, so just kind of on that theme of utero. I, 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 yeah, I, I got to a company, when I say I went with Sarah to some sonogram appointments, I'm not suggesting I need a medal. I just got the Panera beforehand, okay? But, man, when we were at those sonogram appointments, it, it was like a religious experience. Um, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I don't want to sit up here and stand up here and blubber. But I just remember hearing the, you hear this little heartbeat. And then it was like, oh my gosh, there's a little arm waving at us. It's, it, 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 and the doctor's like, oh, there's a little arm. It, it's amazing. 
And then nine years later, that little embryo, probably use the wrong word, but that little image on the screen tells me at the 815 service that they found their switch controllers they lost. <laughs> Great. I mean, it's miraculous. It's incredible. When I was 19, one of my good buddies, his parents lived in Panama City, Florida. Talk about a free spring break spot. Now, there are several stories from those spring break uh, trips I'm not at will to share. But one I am comfortable sharing with you is uh, one day we went out on the beach um, to the sandbars. We were standing there, and I saw some dolphins, like, swimming and playing in the ocean. And it was a holy moment. I had this realization, like, oh, that's right. Dolphins don't live at SeaWorld. They were created and live in this. This is where they live. And that may seem really obvious, but it just hit me. Have you ever been playing Madden and you're like, oh, it's just like the real game. And you're like, wait. Like, I, I got it. I was, I was in awe of creation. When I look at the miracles of scientific discovery, it doesn't diminish my belief in the supernatural. It strengthens it. It reminds me that through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so I think we get a little bit mixed up when we try and treat the Bible like a science textbook rather than the different genres that it is. If you're interested in exploring this more, this compatibility between faith and science, Francis Collins was the former head of the Human Genome Project, and he wrote an amazing book called The Language of God. So if, if this is something you think about a lot, this could be a good resource for you, the language of God. Human suffering is the fourth major reason people doubt the claims of Christianity. This one's kind of an obsession for me. Uh, there was a guy named Epicurus a long time ago, and he articulated the problem really well. So here's kind of a modern version of it. Here's what's so hard. How can the following three things all be true? One, God is all-powerful. Two, God is all good. Okay, so far so good. But if the first two are true, how can the third one also be true? That evil exists. You don't need me to point out examples of evil and suffering in our world today. We could be here all afternoon. So the problem is you can take any of the two and they make sense. But trying to keep all three is difficult. If God is all good and evil exists, then God isn't powerful enough to prevent evil. Or if God is all powerful, but not all good, then evil exists because God wills it. You follow me? But how can all three of these things be reconciled? God is all good and all powerful. Well, then how can evil exist? This problem has been called the rock of atheism. Because for a lot of people, they just can't believe it's possible for a God who is all good and all powerful to exist when they see so much evil and suffering in the world. This is one of the oldest questions humans have explored. And the short answer is, there is no short answer. If I could solve all this in like a three-minute sermon bit, I'd make a lot of money and I guess would work here for free. So I'm, I don't want to do these doubts injustice by pretending that we can discard them. But when I look at the problem of evil and all the suffering in the world, it is a source of doubt and, and wonder for me. But friends, what does it say about God that when Jesus was sent into the world, God's solution was to send us a Savior who also suffered? 
So to me, the doubt is overcome by a Savior who doesn't promise that we won't suffer, but rather his mission was to come and join us in it. Now, we won't typically have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus like Thomas did. And so Thomas had to see and to feel in order to believe. What if these four sources of doubt could be viewed through the lens of faith and these doubts could actually become fuel for faith? Will we allow these things to keep us from Christ? I'd encourage you to think back to our scripture. Jesus wouldn't let the doors of doubt or suspicion or hurt keep him away from Thomas. Jesus sought him out. And so I hope you can find hope in the good news that God is not out to trick us and that we can remember Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. That's Revelation 3.20. Friends, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is fuel for faith. May you be blessed having not seen and yet believe. And everybody said, amen. God, we thank you so much for this chance to be together in worship. And we ask that you give us the eyes of faith to help see things for the miraculous things that they are. God, we praise you for the way that you work in ways natural and supernatural. And we thank you that you are big enough to handle whatever doubts we bring to you. So God, as we continue to worship, would you provide for us that which we need? Whether it's assurance or comfort or peace, whether it's joy in the midst of terrible circumstances, God, we want to believe, help our unbelief. God, we thank you for the witness of scripture that those apostles recorded the things you said and did for our benefit. We thank you for uh, the teachings passed down through the long history, through the millenniums of the church. So we thank you for all these things we've inherited. And God, we ask that you help us to take our doubt and use it as fuel for faith. God, help us to be your witnesses that we would draw people closer to your presence instead of the opposite. God, help our faith to be much more than a bumper sticker or a thing we check off for an hour on Sunday. Help us to be people who are worthy of your mission, that we might reflect your love and light so that when people see or hear or understand the things we're doing and why, they would point to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.